Welcome to the Digicom Cafe, located at the intersection of faith and technology. We hope you enjoy your cafe experience where we cater to your digital and spiritual appetites, and build interest in the amateur radio hobby, one story at a time. Please stand by as we get ready to launch this episode of, Radio on the Rocks. You are about to listen to a Radio on the Rocks Cafe cast interview, that occurred on July 24, 2019, in the Digicom Cafe Communications Network, with Denny J, KD5DLJ, and his guest, Chris Rawlinson, G7DDN in the United Kingdom. Good morning everybody, welcome to the Digicom Cafe where we take a closer look at hams and their stories of how they got into amateur radio and what their passion is in the hobby now. And this morning, we're gonna take a closer look at an old friend, G7DDN, Chris Rollinson of the UK, who is a network radio columnist for Radio User Magazine and has written some very interesting articles uh, talking about the debate of whether or not network radios is really real radio. So we've uh, been very inspired by his stories and very logical thinking and great writer. And uh, I've had some great conversations with uh, Chris in the past. So welcome to the cafe, Chris. Thank you very much, Denny. Very nice to uh, chat with you again. And a very um, warm welcome to all listeners too. It's uh, very nice to hook up um, after a few months now, I think it is, since we last spoke. A lot, lot's been going on in the world of um, network radio and digital communications. And nice to see you uh, expanding out into uh, this cafe cast as well. So I'm uh, looking forward to telling you a bit more about um, about my background and some things that you may want to hear about. Well, that's great, Chris. And uh, I'm honored to have been interviewed by you via email for your magazine article coming up, I believe, in September, uh, you've told me. So I hope the uh, story will generate some interest in uh, network radios and amateur radio. Our uh, purpose for having these cafe casts is to uh, introduce people to the amateur radio hobby and build it one story at a time. And I'm sure your uh, comments will be very helpful in that. Uh, but we all, we've all had a start in communications at some point, and uh, we'd like to know a little bit more about your history. How did you get involved in amateur radio? Well, like uh, I suppose many people, um, my story has several threads to it. Um, uh, I first started getting interested in radio as a technology when I was a young boy. Um, we had a uh, Bakelite uh, valve uh, broadcast receiver in the corner of the room, which picked up some very, uh, um, some very strong signals from local stations here in the UK. Uh, the BBC mainly, um, and we had medium wave, long wave, uh, and then there was another uh, there was another set of wave bands called short wave, which we never used. There was nothing ever to listen on there, according to my parents, anyway. Um, and so we uh, we stuck mostly to uh, to the long wave station, which was on 200 kilohertz from Droitwich, which is not far from where I live at the moment, and uh, and also some of the medium wave stations. Um, on sort of uh, things like 648 kilohertz, 647 kilohertz, and uh, and um, 1053 kilohertz, it's sort of that sort of uh, spectrum. So that was kind of our daytime entertainment when I was young. We had uh, uh, television in the evening, but television over here 
didn't actually start until about 6 p.m., 5 or 6 p.m. in the evening anyway. So uh, to have any kind of broadcast entertainment, all we had was this uh, valve radio in the corner. So being, um, <laughs> how can I put it, um, a curious young boy, uh, I always wanted to find out what was on that, um, that shortwave band that we never tuned the radio to. So uh, I remember uh, on a few occasions having a go at um, tuning across the shortwave bands, 49 metres, 41 metres, and seeing what I could find. And I mostly found a mixture of foreign language uh, broadcasts, which obviously I didn't understand at the age of about six or seven. Uh, and lots of what I now know to be jamming stations, although at the time it just sounded like um, uh, sort of turboprop aircraft engines, really. Uh, I didn't realise they were jamming stations. And then just occasionally you'd come across an English uh, voice. And uh, I can remember one particular day when I'd come home for lunch from school. I was at uh, what we call a junior school over here, a school for about seven-year-olds. I used to walk home the, the mile and a half or so uh, for lunch. We had a long lunch, uh, an hour and a half. And uh, I remember getting home and uh, turning the radio on in the corner and playing with it on shortwave. And sure enough, I came across this strange music box signal which kept repeating. <clears throat> I thought I'd come across some kind of spy station or something. You remember how the political climate was in the 60s. So, uh, <laughs> so my imagination ran over time. Anyway, so after I listened to it for a few minutes, it, um, at, at, at 12.15, it kicked into a broadcast from Swiss Radio International in English. So I actually identified my first ever um, shortwave station, and um, it took me a little while to actually get into my head the fact that the signals were coming all the way from Switzerland. Switzerland to the UK, perhaps, I don't know, a thousand miles perhaps. It's not by today's standards a long distance, but to me, that was, I could not believe I was hearing signals from what effectively to me was another world, not just another country. And although I had no idea what their news broadcast and things was, were talking about, the fact that I'd received this station um, fascinated me. And um, for quite a long time afterwards, I used to uh, listen around and try and find more of these strange repetitive interval signals as they turned out to be just to see if I could um, find where the signals were coming from. And that's how it all sort of started for me, Danny, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in your shortwave listening, did you ever request a QSL card from these various broadcast stations? Well, not at the beginning, really, because I guess I was still a bit on the young side. Um, I was just, uh, I just kind of kept in my memory a, a list of the stations that I know I'd heard. As I got into my teenage years, though, um, I started um, sort of getting a little bit more adventurous and uh, writing to stations as they gave their addresses out, um, uh, begging the uh, pocket money to send the postage abroad, which was quite expensive, uh, comparatively speaking. Um, and so I did uh, get um, literature and broadcast uh, schedules from uh, most of the European stations, and that eventually led to sending in... Uh, uh, is it Sinpo reports? I think they were uh, into the uh, into the stations um, signal interference, noise propagation, and something else. I can't remember what the O was. But um, uh, yes, I did get quite a few um, uh, uh, QSL cards back, and um, thoroughly enjoyed collecting them. Um, 
and and that was kind of the extent of my interest with with radio. My father had had um, uh, a sort of kit radio, a kit broadcast radio that he'd built uh, when I was a young boy, which also fascinated me. But he was kind of very much an amateur amateur. You know, he he kind of didn't really quite know what he was doing with anything to do with that. But he he was also fascinated with radio, and I I guess I took some of my interest from him. But um, no, it was it was the advent of the CB boom, I think, over here in the UK that got me interested more specifically in two-way radio. Um, the um, it didn't actually appeal to me much at first, if I'm honest. Um, and then uh, eventually, I was on tour because, as you know, I'm a musician. I was on tour somewhere in the south of England, and uh, I noticed that they'd got the CB radio in the um, in the roadies' cab of their lorry, uh, of their truck. I think you call them in the states. And uh, 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 and so uh, they kind of introduced me to it, and I realised that uh, you didn't need a, a, a license other than a other than just to pop to a local post office here in the UK and pay pay ten or fifteen pounds or something, and you got given a license. There was no exams involved. So um, so my first experience of setting up a transmitting station was uh, was in my bedroom. Uh, in when I was in my early 20s and uh, and that also was a fascinating experience uh, and I learned a lot about uh, propagation about uh, people as well and um, uh, and then from there I moved on from 27 megahertz uh, CB we had a, a rather peculiar band that was exclusive to the UK at that time uh, on 934 megahertz and in my uh, in my mid twenties, uh, I got hold of a 934 megahertz UHF set, and started uh, putting up aerials and beams and rotators, um, and that was very interesting because 934 megahertz in the UK was was basically inhabited by mostly radio hams, licensed hams who just fancied another band to have a go at. So um, although they didn't call themselves by their call signs, they invented a call sign, uh, as indeed did I. Mine was Charlie Romeo 42 at that time. And um, and we kind of uh, basically played at ham radio, but not using ham radio call signs or using uh, uh, being under the restrictions of the ham radio license. So we had a whirl of a time. And in fact, I have to say that the um, current trend with network radios reminds me a lot of those days on 934 megahertz. Um, people sort of making up their own call signs and sort of in general behaving themselves really well. And um, and I made a lot of good friends and had a lot of fun there. Um, however, the problem arose that um, the cell phone industry was 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 basically encroaching on 934 megahertz from both sides, both from the 800 megahertz end and from the gigahertz end. And it was obvious that 934 megahertz at some point was going to be squeezed out or rendered unusable. We had a lot of breakthrough in any case from analog phones, which of course had its own interesting sideline because you'd often end up listening to people's phone calls <laughs> i'm not sure who was supposed to but you couldn't help it because of the breakthrough from the cell phone towers so um so yes so 934 megahertz was withdrawn in the uk i guess we could all see it coming so nearly everyone who wasn't already a radio ham on 934 megahertz went and did their license and i was one of them so i uh, joined a, a course in 1988 and uh, subsequently passed that with uh, flying colours and uh, in the February, I think it was February the 1st or February the 2nd, 1989, 
the uh, call sign G7DDN dropped through the uh, from the postman, dropped through the door, and um, and it's been an onward journey ever since, Denny. Yeah, hearing you talk about the past uh, kind of makes me think of how far we've come. You know, it's all about communications. That's the the genre of what we're talking about here. The passing of information, uh, starting out, of course, with uh, the first digital CW, and then uh, uh, audio, shortwave stations, the thrill of hearing uh, someone broadcast from a faraway place, and then the ability to actually have two-way communication, starting out with CB, um, and then from there. Uh, going up to amateur radio, getting a license and using your amateur radio and antennas to communicate around the world and uh, send cards back and forth to uh, collect uh, a history, a record of those contacts. And of course, uh, the cell industry coming into play, uh, just broadening all the different uh, ways that we can communicate with one another and uh, the size of this equipment uh, getting smaller and smaller and more and more efficient to the point where we are at today where uh, with the internet now we have unlimited means of communication uh, streaming audio streaming video text uh, multiple digital modes and uh, being able to interact with one another as we're talking on the radio through the internet uh, showing them our stations and our web uh, page uh, our qrz page or whatever else that we can use to uh, share more information about ourselves with others around the world and build these wonderful friendships. So we've definitely come a long way. And uh, you've been a big part of that. Uh, I know uh, you've been very instrumental in helping promote network radios, which uh, maybe a lot of people who are listening to this Cafe Cast are kind of raising their eyebrows with a question mark, thinking, what, what, what is network radio? Never heard of that before, and that's the way I felt the first time I heard it uh, uh, used from uh, some conversations I was having with some hams in the UK, and that was uh, several years ago. But uh, network radios has taken off in the UK, and it's uh, taking off now in the US, and there's been uh, some great progress in in um, developing this technology and making it uh, better and better, and even bridging. So why don't you share a little bit about your experience of getting involved in network radios and maybe explain what it is and uh, is it really radio? Well that's a great question and uh, depending on who you talk to you might get different answers but uh, for me it, it is in essence radio, uh, it is at the heart of radio. Let me see if I can um, explain it. I mean I suppose network radio is the name comes from um, the idea that instead of transmitting into space, which is what we do uh, when we're using our amateur call signs and using the amateur bands, essentially you're now transmitting to a network. Now, now that, that network could be um, a cell phone uh, uh, gateway uh, and take you onto the internet. It could be your Wi-Fi in your house. Um, it could be uh, public Wi-Fi somewhere when you're out and about. Uh, or it could even be a mesh network or some kind of network you set up for yourself or uh, or, or locally with, with a group of people. So, but, but the, the, the basic premise being um, that, that instead of transmitting just into space, we're, that our main aim is to, is to get to the network, wherever that is. The network then carries the signals across its own backbone and it comes out somewhere else, either another 
a cell phone provider somewhere else in the world or um, or, or perhaps another Wi-Fi network somewhere else or another mesh network um, uh, and so on. In essence, I suppose it's using the uh, the cell network and the internet as a kind of massive worldwide repeater uh, which, uh, which which can function in that way. I think one of the problems we face uh, in ham radio, Denny, is that um, just as my experience as I've related to you just about how I got into radio, you know, was, was based on this amazing realisation that these signals were coming from Switzerland and other parts of Europe into my home in the UK. That was, in 1960-whatever, that was really quite gobsmackingly amazing. Um, but now, uh, you know, people can walk down the street video chatting with someone in Australia and we think nothing of it. So how do we, as Radio Hams, for example, how do we ex explain to people what the magic of radio actually is? Because the magic of radio has now changed. Yes, it is still magic that those signals come from Switzerland and come through the atmosphere into, uh, uh, into my room. But it's actually far more amazing that colour video pictures from Australia can come in real time into my house as well. And I think we're kind of, to some degree, and I hesitate to say this in public, but I think I will say it, I think we're on a bit of a losing streak if we think we're going to attract new people into the hobby of ham radio in the way that we ourselves were attracted in, i.e. through shortwave and through the magic uh, as it was of shortwave. Um, so I'm not saying that shortwave isn't still magic, because to me it is. But, you know, uh, uh, my, uh, my stepson's girlfriend, who was about 18 at the time, came into my shack a few years ago and, and, and said, what are you doing in here? And I said, oh, this, I'm a radio ham, this is, you know, transmitter, receiver, all the rest of it. And she pointed at the main tuning knob on my, uh, on my radio and said, well, what's that for then? And I sort of did, did a double take and thought, well, here's someone who's been born in 1990-ish and has no concept of what a tuning knob is. And, and then I stopped and thought, well, why would they? Uh, when I was little, we tuned in television with a tuning knob. We tuned in radio with a tuning knob. But to anyone under the age of probably 30 now, um, a radio is a push-button device with a screen. Or it's something you get on your phone. Um, so, you know, the, the, the world has completely changed. And I think um, there's a challenge out there for us as radio hams as to how we embrace that. And I think network radio is one way. I don't think it's the only way by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think it's one way in which we can um, interface a bit more with the general population and show them um, of the positive things that, that, can, uh, that can come about from an interest in radio as a hobby. As for whether network radio is real radio, well, I suppose it depends on how you view it. Um, I'm using an iPad at the moment to do this uh, cafe cast with you uh, on Zello, but I can promise you it's not wired to anything. Um, uh, so therefore it must be using wireless waves of some kind and therefore radio. Uh, okay, it may only be going about ooh, 10 feet across the room uh, to, uh, to a Wi-Fi point, but nonetheless, there is RF involved. Um, 
on another on a positive note uh, the great thing about another great thing about network radios is that of course it's all very low powered stuff it's qrp or even qrpp because the uh, power involved is extremely low so we're not talking about putting kilowatts out anymore to to get more signal bouncing off the ionosphere we just want a few microwatts just to get us to the network and let the network do the heavy lifting so um so yeah i hope that's does that sort of um answer some of those questions Danny, or actually does it just raise more questions i wonder no very well put uh very clear and uh of course all of this has been brought about by the change in our world culture uh, as a result of the digital revolution just as the industrial revolution changed everything and made things uh, easier more convenient uh, uh, less physical labor was involved in uh, some of our tasks uh, during the industrial revolution and now with the digital revolution uh, once again we have a major shift in how we do things and communication uh, has definitely gone the way of digital um, you know, even your Wi-Fi, you talked about using your Wi-Fi router and communicating to it, to the network with your iPad. Uh, even Wi-Fi actually is in the amateur radio spectrum. Several of the channels on your Wi-Fi router are right there in the amateur radio spectrum. And even non-licensed individuals use it. So I, th I find that quite amusing. Um, and as far as not being uh, real radio, uh, we do have real radio as part of our network, connected to Zello, connected to TeamSpeak, Hamshack Hotline, um, Peanut. Uh, we do a lot of bridging between these various networks, much like the cell companies do. They bridge between themselves, so you have multiple cell phone networks uh, all cooperating with one another and sharing information through their networks from another. And we're doing that right here in the cafe. We have uh, multiple digital platforms or modes, if you will. We have DMR, D-Star, Fusion, uh, Hamshack Hotline, Peanut, Zello, TeamSpeak, uh, all connected and bridged together. So if we were to drop down into our Digicom Cafe link channel, anybody could grab whatever radio, whatever mode they had convenient and participate in a conversation across all these various networks. So it definitely has uh, changed uh, the world and changed our communication uh, styles and techniques and uh, you don't even have to have a license to communicate on some of these networks such as network radios which i think you were instrumental in uh, assisting in the beginning stages of that um, i don't know what you'd call it uh, a set of channels it's a it's a group it's a fellowship i don't know if it's really an organization but uh, why don't you talk a little bit about network radios and uh, invite people to uh, participate in that? Yeah, that's fine. Um, uh, network radios, yes. There's a little bit of confusion arises here because we talk about network radio as a kind of uh, transmitting to a radio that transmits to a network and is in effect a cellular computer, handheld computer. Um, but built in a in an HT or mobile form factor, uh, and uh, there is then this group of channels on Zello called network radios, which was originally started by Carl G1YPQ um, uh, as a kind of uh, just a place where we could talk about these new devices called network radios, and that's basically how it started, I believe. I came on very shortly after they'd started the channel. 
And I think what we didn't expect was the amount of people that started joining us. I think the interest in, in, in the devices, network radios, then sort of fed into the uh, interest in the channels called network radios. So basically, network radios, the channel suite, is a group of channels on Zello. Um, and there's network radios uh, zero zero. It's it's only called zero zero because the way that things evolved meant that we had already used numbers one two three four and five for other channels, and we'd still got the original channel which was just called network radios. So someone thought we'd better we'd better give it a number, but we can only give it zero. So it's a, it's one of those historical things that you would never have done if you were planning it, but it just you know evolution took over and. Uh, and we just had to let it um, let it be called what it was, um, and so that's the main channel. And 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 basically, if, if, the best way to think of it, it, it's a group of say six or seven channels, um, which are uh, analogous really to channels on a CB radio or channels on a two meter FM radio. And um, there's no calling channel; it's uh, treated like uh, a bit like HF. You just pick a channel, one of the si one of the seven channels, and just call out. And um, what's really interesting from my point of view about the, these channels is because, as you mentioned rightly, there is no need for an exam or a license, um, you can actually bump into anyone there, uh, licensed or unlicensed, people who are interested in um, communications, people who are interested in radio as a hobby, uh, people who've perhaps always fancied having a go at uh, ham radio, for example, but haven't felt capable enough to have a go at a course. Or, um, or all kinds of reasons, um, and basically providing people behave themselves, um, which 99% of the time they do, uh, then basically everyone has a great time on there, just chatting and, as you say, sharing fellowship and uh, making new friends uh, all around the world in crystal clear audio, which is <laughs> something we sort of kind of get used to quite quickly and tend to forget about how rather good that is. Um, so yeah, so it, it was an interesting journey. The channels got added sort of, you know, more and more as the popularity went up and it's come to a, a bit more of a, a standstill now in terms of the channel suite. <coughs> Excuse me. And I suspect that there are reasons for that and I, I think more and more people have come on and realised that the great thing about the Zello app is that we can now make two-way radio do what we want to do with it. Um, let me explain that a bit more. I think up till perhaps a few years ago, we've pretty much been at the mercy of what the authorities have told us to do. You're allowed this band, you're allowed to say this, you're not allowed to say this. Or if you're, it's, it's business radio, well, you've got to stick to these frequencies, you've got to pay us a fee, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. All of a sudden, radio as a hobby is sort of um, uh, left unshackled from a lot of these um, sort of uh, restrictions. And, uh, uh, and now people are actually just creating channels to suit themselves. So um, people have come along to the network radio channels, seen how it all works, seen what the system is capable of doing. And then they've started doing their own thing with it. So I've heard of um, emergency groups setting up their own local um, Zello channels and they've kind of migrated off to there to, to do their thing. I, I know of another group of people who are interested in microwave 
um, ham work and they now use Zello for their talk back rather than two meters because it's much, much easier to carry a Zello device with you than all the two meter equipment that you need to the top of a hill where you're also carrying your microwave equipment up to. So they've kind of halved their, halved their uh, load, as it were, of, uh, of equipment that you have to lug to the top of a hill. And, and and then there are you know people using Zello to keep in touch with each other with their families and all kinds of things like this. So I remember in <coughs> pardon me one of the articles I wrote very very early on for uh, for Duarte Braga's uh, website, um, which is uh, www.network-radios.com. Um, I wrote quite a number of articles for his blog, which you can find there. Um, he. Um, I remember saying, you know, this whole thing about Zello is going to mean that we can we can do with radio what we want to. We can mould radio to do what we want. We can be our own licensing authority. We can be our own um, instigators. We can do whatever we want because the freedom is all built into the system. So I think what we're seeing now is numbers have gone down slightly on network radio's channels, but I think that's because actually people have now realised what they can do with it and they've gone off and done their own things. Um, for example, we've got a, a Zello channel uh, with my local ham radio club. Um, and as you rightly said, uh, Denny, um, there's still so much more exploration to be done with uh, cross-linking as well. I mean, we have a local repeater here on 70 SEMS that's never used. And we're looking into making it so that it can work with Zello. Um, and it, it will give it more use, um, you know, from amateurs perhaps all around the world. So yeah, so there's so many things that uh, that it can do. And I think as as time goes by, we're only discovering more and more what we can do with Zello and uh, and other apps like it. And um, it's it's really exciting. It's exciting to see how Zello's developed already. And I still have this feeling that at some point someone's going to come out with something more specific, an app that's more specific for. Uh, uh, radio enthusiasts to use, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we don't need that because Zello does everything already anyway. So uh, there we are. Anyway, hope that's. I'm bringing out things to add on to that uh, that particular bit about network radios. So you'll have to jog my memory if I've forgotten to mention something. Oh, you are very good at explaining this whole genre of communications. Uh, obviously, very involved in it. Uh, one of the things about ham radio, you mentioned that it seems like we're on the losing side of this equation, uh, as, as people use their cell phones for doing everything, including video conversations. Uh, I always like to say that uh, I push amateur radio because it's a known community. And as you know, uh, much like CB uh, has turned into these days, it's like the Wild West out there. You don't know who you're talking to. People have fake names and you don't know if they really are who they say they are. Uh, same thing with certain Zello channels. It can be a very dangerous place for young people just going into any group that's out there because you don't have any way of knowing that who you're talking to is really who they say they are. Whereas in amateur radio, we're a known community. And if you're talking to somebody on a Zello channel that's moderated and, and uh, administrated by some amateur radio operators or club or community, who uh, make sure that people are verified as hams, uh, you can look them up on qrz.com. You can see uh, where they live and uh, you know how to contact them. So I think it provides a degree of security and safety. I think that's the real selling point for amateur radio now. Um, and I know that a lot of people don't use HF hardly at all when they get their license. 
they get a tech license so they can talk on their VHF or UHF radios and uh, that's the extent of it and now with the advent of bridge networks to things like Zello they don't even need a radio they can just use their phone which by the way that's what uh, Chris and I are doing right now I'm on my iPhone he's on his iPad we're connected to my Digicom Cafe Channel 1 and uh, this conversation is being archived and that's where I get my audio from the uh, before we're done here I'll download that from my Zello account as a saved message and uh, go ahead and edit it and drop it in my template so that's how how this works it's a very powerful communication tool so but there are some real advantages to network radio that you don't have on HF or VHF or any of the supposed real radio communication platforms why don't you talk about uh, some of those cool benefits that we have here by way of control on things like Zello oh well yes I think probably uh, you've hit the nail on the head there Danny because the the, the the big thing is the is the moderation isn't it and it's sort of something that I suppose it Zello brings over from sort of social media on on computers um, uh, it's very interesting that the guys who run the network radios channels here in the UK um, have had some sort of positive stroking from the folk at Zello who are really pleased to see Zello channels being used the way they'd envisage them to be used and it's all ultimately it all comes down to the level of moderation and, and having strict rules for usage and then making sure that everyone sticks to them and then you know basically anyone who plays plays up a bit you know can just be blocked or kicked off or whatever um you know there's an incentive to behave for uh, 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 properly to people because they know they'll lose access to the system if they if they misbehave so uh, i think the success of any kind of network radio system really lies in the uh, dedication of those who are prepared to act as moderators and i have to say the guys at network radios uk certainly have a great bunch of folk very committed bunch of folk who work you know i mean they're only volunteers for goodness sake it's only a hobby but they are you know they seem to be there 24 7 i'm sure they're not um but you know the, 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 there's always some help there and and uh, people have tried to come on and deliberately disrupt other people's fun with it have really not got very far so um but but that does rely on on having a really committed bunch of folk and uh, as i say they're lucky to have it and zello uh, i know are very very pleased with what they've heard there um because you as you rightly say zello can be a very dangerous place just like any social media platform could be um especially because uh, um if you're in an um you don't know if you're in a moderated or unmoderated channel or not and um uh, and as you also rightly say you don't know who's who so uh yeah i, I think uh, i think the key to to making network radios the channels and network radio as a hobby work is very much very much lies in the moderation side of things um and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's one thing that, for example, ham radio repeater keepers wish they were able to do when uh, people come on and abuse the repeater systems. Because, of course, I suppose I should say uh, as an addendum to what you said earlier that uh, that uh, amateur systems aren't um, immune from uh, abuse uh, just because they're uh, mostly amateurs um, 
uh, using it. Um, there are, uh, we've had instances over here of people pretending to be amateurs, pirating call signs, saying they're someone else, all that kind of thing. We've, we've seen it all, uh, fake QRZ.com profiles. Um, some people seem to seem to almost, you know, sort of get a thrill out of um, disruption of other people's fun. Um, that that to me seems a little strange, um, and uh, maybe they need to seek help for that. But um, it's a strange way of thinking to me. Um, we get so much fun out of using network radios the way we think it's meant to be used that it seems a bit daft that people go to those extremes. So uh, yeah, so moderation I think is the key, very much so, uh, Denny. And um, I think anyone, uh, we've had a few instances where people have tried to replicate the success of the network radio's channels and they found very quickly how difficult it is to do because it isn't, setting up the channel is not a problem, anyone can do that. You can have it set up in seconds, you can invite people and have it populated in seconds. But the real test comes when, when that's tested and have you got a moderation team that can actually look after it and keep it going. So uh, yeah, so hope all that makes sense to you. Yes, absolutely. And I've shared it enough myself. I just thought it'd be good to hear it from you. <laughs> You're so good with words. And uh, Network Radios is a good role model for the rest of us. Uh, in fact, our Digicom Cafe was somewhat patterned after that. We have Digicom Cafe 1, 2, and 3 as kind of rollover channels. Uh, if one is busy, they can go to the other, but we've never been as busy as Network Radios. And of course, we have our link channel, which is a bridge to our all-star node and uh, all these others can be communicating with those on Zello or TeamSpeak. We're partnering with the International Radio Network, the Guild, uh, who are doing much the same thing. And our ultimate goal is to introduce young people uh, to the amateur radio hobby and uh, kind of make it fun again. In fact, uh, having my young 11-year-old grandson join the ranks of amateur radio has been a thrill for me, and he participates mostly through Zello. So. He doesn't have a big radio down there. He does have a DMR radio and a hotspot, so he can join us on our system there, too. But we want our community here to be a safe community for young people. Uh, we, we like the family environment, and as we say, uh, we're located at the intersection of faith and technology, and many of us here are people of uh, faith and bring uh, that integrity to our community here and want to make it a place of kindness, a culture of kindness, as we say. And so we don't uh, we don't tolerate any abuse or any foul language, things like that. And we really rarely have any issues with that. And I'm glad to say that we have a very dedicated uh, group of moderators who are very passionate about digital communication and what we're doing. And so uh, we appreciate them so much. And also those that are providing our bridges. We're uh, teamed up with several and you can learn all about us at digicomcafe.com. And we also are streaming live right now, by the way, Chris. We're on our Cafe on Ice stream, which uh, has uh, WTWW shortwave station playing uh, quietly in the background. Uh, so when this channel and our system is quiet, they don't have to listen to nothing. They can hear some great uh, music and some ham-centric programming and commercials. So we're having fun with that, too. But I know this isn't all you do. Uh, you are very good with words uh, off the cuff like this. Uh, you're doing a fantastic job, but uh, you're also a very uh, avid and articulate writer. And writing is a whole different ballgame. You put a lot of thought into that. You uh, construct every sentence word for word uh, 
What got you into writing, or have you always been a writer? Well, first, that's very kind of you to say those words, uh, Denny. Um, I think when I was at school, I used to hate writing. Um, this is another perfect example of how technology assists you, mainly because my handwriting has never been the best in the world. So I found writing my thoughts down onto paper hard work, not because of my thoughts, but because it was actually physically difficult to write them. Um, and um, I think my brain works a lot faster than my hand, basically, so that the, 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 I just wanted to scribble things down as quickly as possible, and uh, and then it became semi-illegible. <laughs> my wife often says I should have been a doctor, um, because uh, over here, uh, doctors have always had a reputation for having scrawly handwriting. Um, anyway, that aside, um, yes, I, well, if I, if I have something I want to say, I like to write about it, and although I've never... Um, I've never thought of myself as doing it publicly. A few years ago, I got so fired up by the whole network radios thing that I, I wanted to, you know, sort of put my thoughts on paper. And um, clearly that attracted it. Uh, and initially that was on, as I mentioned, Duarte Braga's website at www.network-radios.com. And um, I, I guest blogged there several times. Um, I've, I'd written uh, other articles for other uh, uh, other ma uh, magazines and other things as well before that, but uh, that really got me fired up. And when I've got something I want to say, I have to say it. So um, so that's how it started. And then of course that attracted um, interest from the uh, magazines here in the UK, the Radio Society of Great Britain, in the House magazine, Radcom. They wanted to. Um, uh, me to write something for them. Practical Wireless magazine asked me to write something for them. Radio User asked me to write something for them. And on the back of the articles I'd written for these UK magazines, they um, they asked me to write a regular monthly column, or rather, Radio User asked me to write a regular monthly column, which I did. And uh, and I've been doing it ever since. It's been going for about a year or so now. Um, so uh, uh, and it gets a lot of interest, I know, from from the radio enthusiast community here in the UK. Um, some months it can be uh, difficult to think, well, what am I going to talk about this month? But it's fascinating. The whole subject of network radios is such that it doesn't really matter what you, uh, what you start, a subject you start on. Suddenly there's loads to talk about. So I sometimes worry about... Um, I sometimes worry about whether I'm going to have enough <laughs> to actually write about, and invariably I end up with too much. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the, and, and some of the debates keep coming back as well because people, uh, you know, the is it real radio debate keeps coming round, and uh, uh, and um, I, I try to I try to ask people to think you know think big think much outside the box you know if we restrict ourselves to to thinking within boundaries we'll miss on all the wonderful things that there are out there that we just don't see yet and i think uh, the history of science the history of radio certainly is all about people thinking bigger than the restrictions that they're put under you know there was a time when well we were given shortwave bands because the authorities thought they were useless you know 
<laughs> and, and of course we then went on to prove that they were far from useless and then of course the authorities wanted some of them back again which of course is inevitably what happens and so we ended up getting VHF bands oh well they're line of sight they're useless you can have those say the authorities and then we go and prove that that's not true either and then of course they want all those frequencies back again well, we can use those now we can use them for aviation we can use them for fire police ambulance all this kind of thing uh, and so we got sh get shunted up to UHF and microwave because they're useless. And then we go and prove that they're not useless. And in fact, the bizarre thing is, is that all the discoveries in uh, in radio as a hobby, as a as a as a as an industry, nearly all of them have come about through radio hams playing around with frequencies that were deemed useless. Um, and I find it ironic that network radio is using all those microwave frequencies that and not, not that long ago we were only given because they couldn't find a use for um, or it was all a bit too esoteric and now we uh, the whole world is using these frequencies to communicate with each other uh, in both video and audio format so uh, yes I've forgotten what the question is now Denny you'll have to ask it me again oh no you answered it we were talking about you rating and uh, interesting you talking about uh, how uh, the FCC or the different radio organizations are uh, taking frequencies away because they find uh, new uses for them. Uh, things get uh, antiquated for ham radio. In fact, I was just playing around today with uh, this new digital mode called uh, SJ8. And uh, one of the websites that shows the activity of all these different digital modes, I uh, was just introduced to uh, last night watching someone's podcast and uh, went to that and selected some of the earlier modes that seemed to be popular at the time, like PSK-31, and there was hardly anybody there. Uh, went to FT-8, and the whole world was just lit up with all kinds of activity. And this new one, uh, JS-8, uh, which allows you to actual, uh, send actual messages in text in the midst, uh, which is very slow, but still it's uh, something FT-8 you can't do. Uh, so anyway, I'm very fascinated by that. But this technology changes everything, including uh, how we communicate via print. You know, my background as a printer, I've seen the transition uh, from people going from reading newspapers and things like that to uh, reading uh, blogs and things on their smartphone or on their computers. And newspapers have really struggled. Uh, the immediacy of... Uh, uh, print is is way behind in terms of what we experience in the digital realm. Uh, just uh, using my interview with you for your article as an example, uh, when did we do that? Uh, a month or two ago, and I just notified that uh, it will be coming out in the magazine uh, in September. I know magazines have to have long lead times, and uh, sometimes by then... Uh, the news is old news. <laughs> Not many people read magazines anymore. So I know these publications are struggling, uh, just like uh, some of the frequencies and bands and amateur radio are starting to be threatened by, well, if you're not going to use it, uh, we'll take it away. But uh, the new technology keeps pressing forward, revolutionizing our, our whole way of life and how we do things. Uh, robotics, uh, now AI is taking... Uh, solid ground and uh, voice communication with these devices like uh, the Amazon uh, Echo Dots and things like that, which, by the way, we're utilizing too. Uh, people could be listening to our conversation right now 
our interview right there on their Echo Dot by simply going to my skill, my Amazon skill. So, yeah, things are changing and it keeps pushing ahead. And uh, some of us keep hanging on to the past and how we do things. And uh, uh, I kind of wonder, uh, as busy as you are with your writing and things, uh, do you actually have time for ham radio? Much like me, you know, we get uh, passionate about what we're doing and it kind of uh, is all consuming and we come up with new ideas and new thoughts and pretty soon we're just uh, we're just working so hard we don't have time for real radio. But I, I try and take time to actually use my HF rig and play around with some of these uh, technologies on HF too. So um, some people might think I'm abandoning ham radio, but I'm not. I'm still very involved in HF communications and wireless communications but I fully embrace uh, this new stuff. So how are you involved in amateur radio these days besides writing articles and promoting network radio and some of the new technologies? Uh, do you still use uh, some of the older forms of communications on uh, HF? Well, I, I've always been one for thinking that people will go where they naturally want to go. Um, so, um, this is one of the things I remember having a discussion with someone once on a Facebook group about network radio saying, well, you know, people are leaving ham radio and going to network radio. And I said, well, yes, I've always been one for, for believing that people will tend to, to, to go where they want to go in a hobby. Um, the great thing about ham radio is it has so many avenues that you can go down. And there are many people in ham radio who will uh, never use another or see another side of the hobby. For example, amateur television. I mean, I haven't done anything with amateur television, but I have done things with QRP Morse. So uh, then the amateur TV people probably not interested in HF QRP Morse. So it's quite possible to go through the whole of ham radio as a hobby and never actually see all the different facets of it and use them. Um, but people find their own corner of it. and. I think of network radio as a, a, another seat at the table of ham radio, really. Um, okay, it doesn't specifically or may not be specifically using an amateur band unless it's cross-linked into an amateur band. Um, but there's enough in there that, that I think comes under radio enthusiast as a hobby and, and, and encompasses transmitting and all enough things that are going on in the hobby of ham radio that it, that it could be considered part of it. Um, yeah, I understand the purists will say that, you know, you're not transmitting on a ham band, therefore it's not ham radio. But it all gets a bit sort of splitting hairs to me, that kind of thing, because, you know, at what point... I mean, you mentioned earlier that, you know, Wi-Fi uses some ham frequencies. I, mean, I know of hams up here who've uh, hacked into router firmware to make routers work on the ham frequencies and then create their own networks in the ham band. So they're playing network radio on a ham frequency. But what's the difference? You know, you're playing ham radio perhaps 300 megahertz down from somewhere else and one's acceptable to people in the hobby and one isn't acceptable to people in the hobby. Are we really saying that? I don't know. I think we're getting a bit, you know, we really are splitting hairs if we start doing things like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... The, the, the whole thing can, can get a bit silly. Do I still do ham radio? Well, anything I do that's radio to me is amateur. I am an amateur and he's radio. I, I, I don't really see a great distinction. Uh, I still go on top band from time to time. I struggle with all the noise there. Um, I still uh, do a little bit of CW from time to time. Um, I go to my radio club and take part in the activities up there. 
um, and I go on network radio as and when I can. But uh, I think like most people, I follow the path of least resistance. And uh, one of the great things about network radio is, you, as you say, you can do it almost anywhere because as long as you've got your phone with you, even if you're short of a network radio device, if you've got your phone with you, you can press it into service um, and, and use it to to make some you know, contacts on. So really, I, I don't see it being a big issue, but I do understand that other people do see it as a big issue, and I respect them for their point of view, uh, but I just respectfully disagree. Well put. And I agree, amateur radio is a very broad hobby. Communications, I should say, is a broad hobby. And there are many seats at the table, as you put it. I say here in the cafe, many tables in the cafe. Uh, we have a buffet of communication tools and opportunities and uh, we just invite people to come in with or without license with or without radio and enjoy the hobby so anyway you have been an excellent guest I always uh, have enjoyed talking to you you're a great communicator a great writer we thank you for all your con contributions to the hobby I'm pretty sure that you have uh, uh, been instrumental in bringing more people into our fellowship uh, of, of people who love digital communications from around the world and have been a big asset to network radio. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, any final comments you'd like to make? Uh, anything you'd like to promote, website, or any information that uh, you think would be helpful in uh, building the hobby? Yeah, well, actually, you kind of almost touched on it there, Denny, because... Uh um, one of the nicest things for me is people who I've met on network radios who, when they realise I was the guy who wrote the articles on network radio in uh, for the Radio Society of Great Britain and, and the other magazines, they've actually said, ah, that's the article that got me back into ham radio. And when people say that, that, that really means something to me. So, yeah, that's quite a nice place to finish, really. Um, if people want to find out more about my writings, they can go to my website, which is um, uh, g7ddn.com slash articles. So that's g7ddn.com forward slash articles. And there's a whole list of things there, some of which are downloadable. There's even a presentation, which, is, which I did for the um, Radio Society of Great Britain National Convention last year, uh, which explains uh, network radios pretty much from scratch. Um, and, and seems to be a popular download. So, um, yes, if people want to do that, that would be great. And uh, there are links on there to, uh, to other useful places as well. But uh, thank you very much, Danny, for your time. It's a good time to finish. It's uh, quite late in the afternoon here in the UK at the moment. I know it's in the morning for you, uh, but I'm about to start work again in my day job, so I need to get on with that. So it's a really good timing from my point of view. But uh, thank you again for the opportunity to, uh, to be on the CafeCast and uh, all the other linked um, systems that you have to this. And uh, I wish you uh, all the best and, uh, uh, in your endeavours to, uh, to continue to promote this side of the hobby. Thanks again, Denny. I wish you God bless and uh, have a great uh, day. All right, Chris. And as we uh, typically do within the protocols of amateur radio, we will sign off properly with uh, how we generally communicate. G7DDN uh, 7375 from KD5DLJ in the Digicom Cafe. Appreciate you. Yeah, KD5DLJ73 from G7DDN in the UK. Have a great day.
Thank you for listening to this radio on the Rocks Cafe cast. Visit our website at digiconcafe.com to see our extensive digital buffet menu and listen to all of the live conversations on our cafe on nice stream or this and many more episodes of our cafe cast. Is there somebody that you know that's trying to get their ham ticket? Trying to ham test online. It's easy. There's no drudgery to it. There's no dread to it. And right now you can get the technician exam study guide that's normally $29.95. And right now during this sale price, it's only $19.95. That's right. That's the technical study guide for the tech license for ham test online. Now, let them log into HamTest Online and let them follow the program study guide. They'll get their ticket in a matter of a few days. Right now, the price is reduced to $19.95. So get online. And if you've already got all of your tickets, then ham it forward by buying this study program for someone who's trying and wants to get into ham radio. HamTestOnline.com. That's hamtestonline.com.